today we have the incredible honor to be able to have the one and only Guy Kawasaki. <laughs> He's, this is a multifaceted career, profound insights into innovation. He's made an indelible mark on the world. His name, <laughs> his name became synonymous with transformative thinking, groundbreaking ideas, and so on in so many ways. I would say originally, and I think this is fair to say because he was part of the Macintosh Mafia, helping to make that computer, you know, bring it to an iconic status at Apple back in the 1980s when he was the chief evangelist there. I mean, that's a good title to have at any company and to do it at Apple at the moment of that sort of, you know, that, that, that iconic moment is a really great, you know, calling card. That's a really good mic drop, I would say. Now he's the chief evangelist at Canva. He is or was trusted advisor at Motorola business unit of Google. And these are just some of the things. He's also a great author, and we're going to be talking about his uh, new book today. But also, he's the author of The Art of the Start, Enchantment, The Wise Guy. And in this episode, we're going to be, well, I was going to say, like, we were going to take his journey from his being a curious child in Honolulu, Hawaii, to a revered icon in Silicon Valley. But if the pre bits of this conversation are anything to speak of. We have no idea at all where this is going to go. <laughs> so tune in as we cover. This is part one of a two-part conversation. And this is about the essence of living fearlessly. Welcome the incomparable Guy Kawasaki. Can I tell you a great story, Greg? You will appreciate this story. Go. Right. So all the hyperbole about the one and only Guy Kawasaki, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Right. Yeah. So let me tell you a story. Actually, this is a multiple stories. It must have it's <laughs> happened to me dozens of times. Okay? okay. Okay. People come up to me and they say, Oh, your book changed my life. I was directless. I didn't know what to do with my life. And I read your book. And it changed yeah. everything. I got direction. You know, you're the cause of my success. Yeah. And I say, well, which one of my 16 books? And they say, oh, rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> so maybe I'm not so unique and incomparable. That's, that's pretty funny guy. That, I really believe that story. I believe uh, that people have true. done that. I, that will have happened a lot of times. My goodness, that's a funny, that's a funny. You should just you hear you another do? funny do story. Like that? But do you just own it? Do you just go? You're welcome. No, like, what do you do? You, no, say, do you say, say you say I didn't write that book, but I'm <laughs> glad that I'm glad it blessed your life. I say I'm poor dad, poor dad, not rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> if you enjoy that story, do we have a time limit here? If you enjoyed that story, I'll tell you another great story. Okay, go for it. I want the next story. Go. Okay, okay. One day, this is about 15 years ago. I had a 9-11, so I'm, I'm driving my 9-11. You know, you just think you're on top of the world because you're driving okay. a Porsche, right? Okay. So this is in Menlo Park, and I'm at a stop sign, stoplight. And I look over to my left, and there's this car with four teenage girls in it. 
and they're looking at me, they're making eye contact, they're giggling, they're laughing, they're smiling. And I'm thinking, guy, you're freaking finally arrived. Even teenage girls know who you are because of your writing, your speaking, your work at Apple, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you're in this Porsche. So the girl in the front seat, she motions to roll down my window. <laughs> she doesn't understand in 9-11. You press a button, but that's yeah. a different discussion. <laughs> so I put down my window. She sticks out of her. She goes, are you Jackie Chan? <laughs> what did you say? I, I was so flabbergasted. <laughs> I just laughed and drove she just, off. She just laughed and drove off. And so now they don't know. They don't know whether Jackie Chan laughed at them in a 9-11 <laughs> in Menlo Park and drove away. They don't, they don't know. They have a story. It's their biggest story of their life. I met Jackie Chan. He rolled down his window. He laughed and he went away. Uh, that's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, you, there's a split in, the, in, Plus, in the, the matrix because of that story. That just shows that everybody's a winner when you get involved with me. Uh, <laughs> well, like, like there's it. a valuable lesson in that story. Yeah, Not go. about racial, racial profiling and stuff. <laughs> One of the things I say in this book is that it does not matter how you got motivated or what motivated you. All that matters is that you are motivated. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, since that day, in the back of my mind, I'm always <laughs> thinking, you got to be successful. You got to make a difference, guy. You got to do this because someday in Hong Kong, Jackie Chan's going to be in his Rolls Royce and he's going to pull up to a stop sign. Girls are going to make eye contact. And he's going to think, I'm Jackie Chan. Of course they know who I am. Girl's going to roll down the window, stick out her head and say, are you going to go with socket? Yeah, That's my it. goal. That's my goal in life. You got to have goals. Now, now we have to get Jackie Chan on your podcast <laughs> to have, to share the story with him, right? Like this has to, this, 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 we have to hold this intent uh, going forward. Okay. Speaking of people, let me tell you how I was actually introduced to you. It was through something that I was told that you said. You might not even have said it. And if, you, if you didn't, that would be a very bad moment for me. It won't matter to you, but it will matter to me. And it, it's not a particularly nice thing. But, okay, so this was when you were at Apple, or at least about your time at Apple. And you said that at some point, they, had, they started having a bozo explosion. Yeah, I said that. You did that. say it. I did say that. Okay, so that, that that's that's a happy moment for me because I've been otherwise misquoting you for a decade. <laughs> that would be a shame, and then I wouldn't even be able to say it after that. I just have to say, well, some someone somewhere thought about this. That's a good question to jump off. Of. What did you mean when you said it? What was going on? A bozo explosion. What this means is that one of my thoughts, and I learned this from Steve Jobs, is that A players hire A players. But B players hire C players and C players hire D players because B players and lore, they want to look around the room and they want to feel like they're superior to everybody. Mm -hmm. So if you're a loser, you hire someone who's a loser so you can feel better than the loser. And that you start from B player and you end up in Z player. And that's the bozo explosion. So you need to fight the bozo explosion. Now, did you see it happening at Apple? I mean, did, were you there so through a whole period where that moved in? Was that after Steve left? Like what? Well, it, or were you, you just know, was that a general it, observation? I think it's generally true for companies. Yep. And one of the big tells of a bozo explosion is when you start 
recruiting MBAs. When your company starts recruiting MBAs, you're on the slippery slope. And I have an MBA. Okay. Oh, uh, good, good. Because so do I. So that's nice. So that's. <laughs> So, so you managed to insult both of us in your in your answer, which I appreciate. I appreciate. Well, it's a form of humility. Well, here, here, here's where I want to go with this. So, tell people who are listening or watching this a bit about that kind of that part of your origin story, right? The Macintosh days. I mean, I'm sure you've shared this many times, too many times. I don't know, but the new book also, in, you know, begins with at least part of that story. So. Just tell us, assume people don't know any of that story. Let's hear it from you. Wait, which story? There's, a lot, there's like 88 stories in the book. That's No, no, no. The, I'm talking about the opening story of the book. Oh, okay. So the opening and, story. And then, other, then just other insights about the time when you were doing the, working on the Macintosh and the, and the ad campaign and, and so on. Okay. So the year that is- That was 19- an easy question, Guy. I was giving you- I was giving you the easiest author question in the world. I said, I said, just give me the opening story to your book. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you much know, a person has written of their own book. They know the introductory story. The easiest question to ask an author is, what is your book about? Now, I can tell you a story about this too, before I tell you the story of Think Different. So... Tom Clancy, the mystery and thriller writer, he was at a press conference and he was announcing a new book. And a reporter said, Tom Clancy, you know, what is your book about? And Tom (laughs) Clancy's answer was, it's about 25 bucks. (laughs) I like it. Okay, now now to the think different story. So the year is 1997, Apple's on the ropes. People think it's going to die. Michael Dell is saying, give back the money to your shareholders and close up shop. Give it up, Apple. Thank you, Michael. Yes, thank you, Michael. And so I'm in this room with 10 other marketing people. It's Steve Jobs. He had just sold next to Apple and he was kind of on the way back. So he was already a presence on the campus. And this guy named Lee Clow from Shayate showed us the Think Different campaign. And this campaign was the one that highlighted Amelia Earhart, Gandhi, Einstein, Picasso, about how people who think different are the creative ones and the innovative ones. And back then, if you used the Macintosh, you had to think different because everybody was thinking Windows. And so we, he shows us these commercials and we love the commercials. And at the end, Lee Klaus says to Steve, I have two copies of this videotape. I'll give one to you and I'll give one to Guy. Hmm. And Steve Jobs says, don't give one to Guy. And I say, <laughs> Steve, don't you trust me? And Steve, as only Steve would, says, no, I do not trust you, Guy. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm so proud of myself. I'm so proud of myself. So this was one of those man or mouse moments, you know, in your life when you don't want to look back and say, why didn't I come back at him? Yeah. So I was determined not to live that regret. So I said right then and there in front of everybody, that's okay, Steve. I don't trust you either. And that cost me probably 10 million in options, but (laughs) now I get to tell the story. This episode is sponsored by Shopify, selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, was the relationship with Steve drained after that, or was it? Did did he res, did he seem to sort of respect? Well, did you came at him. Suffice it to say that whenever tell, people tell you they know how Steve Jobs thinks and what he's thinking, mm. no, nobody knows what goes on in that brain. Mm. But I'll just tell you later on, not too long after that. He offered me a job again, so he didn't hate me that much. Mm. <laughs> of course, I leave Apple twice and I turn him down. So that's why I still have to write. What was what was the second job he offered you? The, the job he offered me was to head up Apple University. And Apple University. Yeah, Apple University. no to Apple University. Apple, you know what it is? You have to know what it is. I've worked with Apple University. I've worked with the head of Apple University. I've, I've worked all inside of that organism. Really? Yeah. Anyway, tell us about it. Yo, for those wait, who don't know. So you work for the guy who came from the Yale Business School? I have. Absolutely. Huh. Well, that, that was, was going to be, be your me. job. That was supposed to be your job. He was the second choice. Well, I suppose there might be some truth to that, but uh, but nevertheless, uh, you 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 do do you wish you'd taken that job? Well, if I had known that Apple was going to be a trillion dollars, you know, <laughs> that's one <laughs> factor. But <laughs> I have to say some of this may just be retroactive, convenient thinking, mm. but, you know, all the things that I, I learned and saw and did, not all of them positive, because I left Apple, you know, in a sense, that's the fabric that I became. And if I had stayed at Apple from 1983 till today, I would be probably very rich, but I think it broadened my horizons and, you know... I like to tell this story. It's a great story, but I don't really, 
I don't lay awake at night thinking of all the money that I passed because of that. And then, of course, you know, there's another story like that, which, which is Michael Moritz from Sequoia Capital, which is arguably the most successful venture capital firm. Yep. One day he calls me up. I'm living in San Francisco. And he calls me up. He says, Guy, I got, I got this company here. We need a CEO. Are you interested in the company? And I say, well, what's the company? He says, oh, Yahoo. And I look up Yahoo and Yahoo's, you know, in, in Silicon Valley and I'm living an hour away. And I look at <laughs> Yahoo and it's a collection of Jerry Yang and David Philo's favorite websites. It's a directory. So I look at that and, you know, I say, so I, what could the business model be for that? How big could the internet be? So I <laughs> Mike Moritz, you know what, Mike, I have a kid now. It's just too far to drive to be CEO of Yahoo. So I figure that seriously probably cost me $2 billion. No, you know, 2 billion here, 2 billion there, Greg. After a while, that adds up to real money. So now people are listening to this and they're saying, why would I buy this idiot's book? He quit Apple twice. He turned down Steve. He turned down Yahoo. Now you want me to listen to his advice? Yeah, it, it does bring into question your decision-making process. It does. It does. Even though you're being so gracious and humble in sharing those stories when you could tell other stories that would make you look, you know, like all your decisions are uh, right and so on. But I think it does go to the heart of, well, the, the first section of this new book about, you know, and it's, it's, not, it's not a new idea, but it's, it's, it's a new witness to the idea. And that's not nothing. And it's, it's about about growth mindset. Of course, Carol Dweck's work, who I know well from Columbia and then Stanford days as a professor and the author of Mindset and so on. But why don't you, why don't you articulate sort of what that's, well, I guess you could articulate what the book really is about. Why are you bothered to, you know, write this? Why you thought this needed to come forward? And then maybe a little more on, on why growth mindset takes a, you know, a third of, of what you're offering. So listen, Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, changed my life. Mm. And I think that's true for maybe yeah. millions of people that yeah. basically she was saying, you know, if you have a fixed mindset, you think you are what you are. You cannot be any more. You also believe you cannot be any less. But if you have a growth mm. mindset, you believe you can grow. You can gain new skills and new passions and new things. And th that it sounds like a no-brainer now, but I mean, for the people who believe that you're born a genius or you're born an idiot, this is kind of, you know, <laughs> revelations. So, yeah, I, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Wait, I want to ask more. When, when, when did you read it? I read it in early 2000s. And what was it like before reading it? What was it like after reading it? Like when you say it changed my life, changed the way I thought. Were there specific results that you were struggling with at the time that this explained to you and unlocked for you? Yeah. I, you know, I, I would say that I had been successful in some things and I thought, okay, so that's your calling guy. That's what you can do, you know? And, and, and one of the, one of the fine points of the fixed mindset is not only do you believe that you cannot learn anything new, you also believe that you cannot lose anything you already have because it's fixed. And that is a very dangerous thing because 
you know, all of a sudden you think you're a prodigy, you're a genius and you don't have to work hard. So, so just to, just to clarify, did, so did you feel like you were in that kind of a, like a sort of a hubris story? No. Did you, no. Okay. So that wasn't the situation for you. So what was the situation for you? The situation for me was I was fat, dumb and happy, but I was not willing to take risks into new places. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, the mm-hmm. manifestation where I really first kind of actuated this was sports because mm. I took up uh, hockey at the age of 44 mm. and then I took up surfing at 60 and those are roughly 40 and 55 years too late to take up those sports. Yes, I get it. And that's, you know, that's the growth mindset. And I have, my podcast is called Remarkable People. I've had about 200 people on it from Jane Goodall to Angela Duckworth to Steve Wolf from Wozniak, I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you name it. And I tell you something, nobody said, guy, I'm a genius. I was born that way. I didn't have to work for it. Everybody grew and everybody grew, which means you also had grit. And so I created one of the proudest parts of this book is I have, I love tricolons. You being OCD, you probably love tricolons too, right? (laughs) Not only do I have a tricolon, I have a tricolon with alliteration and not just first letter alliteration, first (laughs) two letter alliteration. Yeah, I like it. Grit and grace. Yeah. I mean, that's Pulitzer Prize level right there. (laughs) No, there is something really lovely about it. Like, you know, you can, you, you can see that as a Venn diagram, right? And it, those really are such, such vital elements in, in putting them together. It does conjure an image of someone oriented to the world in a certain way. And, and, and what you said about all these people that you've had on your podcast is the Remarkable People podcast, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. and. One of the things that I think is telling about that in, in, in your story about that is that it seems to me that people that have a fixed mindset get like they, they peak really early. Yeah. Like they may peak. I mean, I'm talking literally they might peak, you know, certainly if they were the quarterback in their high school football team, that could be the peak. Yeah. It could be before then, right? They, they were popular when they were 12 in a class. It could be that it was a math class that they were. Every, you know, the teacher thought they were a genius in it. Like at some point, the peak happens and then, and then it, it filters you know, down afterwards. And I think it's absolutely connected with you've been surprisingly successful. Like you may yourself have been surprised. Oh, I, I'm good at this. I'm getting great positive feedback at this thing. You know, like, oh, I'm doing it. And then because of the fixed mindset that's there, you immediately then become afraid of trying hard in the future and putting in effort because you think, well, that will, that will reveal that I'm not special. Right. You know, that, that I don't have the thing. That's so insightful. I absolutely believe that. And I also think that there's not only that factor going on. Let's say you're a musician, you're, you're a prodigy in music or physics or, you know, pick something, surfing, whatever. Yep. So then then you're worried about affecting your image and your self-image. Yes. And, and that's really limiting. And then I think even worse maybe is the fact that you think, oh, listen, I'm so good in music, but it's so hard to learn to serve. 
I must not be good at surfing. I can't mm-hmm. be good at surfing because mm-hmm. the things that you do so well came so easy. You you associate effort with impossibility. And that is just pathetic. I mean, I feel sorry for people who say, oh, it took me so long to learn how to surf. So I, I gave up because it was too hard. I mean, that it's such sure. a limiting thing. Do you think, you think Picasso's first painting was great? Well, obviously that is true, but you just framed it as pathetic, which, which I, can, I can relate to. But I, I, I'm, I feel, I just want to push back a little on that because yeah. I feel, as you do, I know too, so much compassion for the enormous costs people pay for being in a mind prison of some paradigm they didn't even know they were in. Yes. Because that's what the fixed mindset, that, when you say it was life-changing, it's because you, were, you had unintentionally, unconsciously absorbed this idea that, that our raw intelligence is fixed. And of course, you can go beyond that as you have done to say, well, it's, it's your, your ability to play a sport that is fixed. I mean, it's not just, just academic intelligence. It could be many other areas of development. But so many people have this. I don't even really know why. I'm actually quite curious about that. I've done a lot of research on it, but I don't know really where the idea stems from. But, but I was talking to somebody 10, 15 years ago, maybe they'd just turned 65. They were talking about a friend that, uh, that they'd met that picked up bike, you know, cycling, biking you know, recently. And, and as he was telling me, he was saying, I mean, I, I couldn't do that. That's just ridiculous. You know, like I, I'm too old to do that. Well, it's been another 10 years now. If he'd been doing it for 10 years, right. he'd be a great cyclist now. You know, the, the, he'd certainly be healthier and fitter than he was. And so it, it is sort of pathetic in a sense, but it's in its truest sense. Pathetic, of course, means dictionary definition. It's pitiable. It's a pitiable thing. Well, then- and pathetic is not the right word. But pitiable, I think, is, is, is closer. It's, it's so sad. You know, there's so much potential well, is held on to that could be uh, opened up. I think you, you bring up a good point, which is that was too harsh a judgment on my standpoint. Now, you know, I, I also, I think that there may be cases where maybe you're a single mom and you have three kids and you have two jobs and you always wanted to be an artist. I would say that it's not necessarily pathetic that you haven't strived to become an artist. Your circumstances are so difficult. You just couldn't do it. That I understand. Right. That I understand. But if you have the flexibility and the means to try stuff, man, I sure hope you try stuff because life is so much more interesting than what you may already know. And, you know, it's, Life is so great, right? I mean, there's so many. Look at all the books on your shelf. I mean, imagine if you only read one of those. Life would be different. I, I hope people, you know, I th- and I think that we have, at least in America, I think we have this assumption that you need to find your passion in life. And, you know, it's like 18 years old. What do you mean? You haven't started your not-for-profit yet. You haven't built a school in Africa yet. Like, what are you going to put on your application for Yale and Dartmouth if you haven't done these things and you're already mm-hmm. 18? I think the word passion is, is a negative because it, 
it sets up too high a fence. It's a, a barrier, a goal is too high. And what you should do is you should have many interests in life and scratch all of them until you knock on wood. You may find a passion or a Japanese word is ikigai. But to say that, you know, I'm out looking for my passion, it's going to be first love at first sight and just going to change the rest of my life. I think you're setting yourself for this, setting yourself up for disappointment. Well, this is, this is something, one of the chapters in your book is, is explicitly on this theme of, of having many, like many seeds, you know, and, and, and we could give it another like linguistic term is, is asymmetric bets where you say, look, if as soon as you, well, as soon as you can exit fixed mindset and enter growth mindset, which is saying you can get smarter through, through trying things, through, through learning. You're, you don't just learn a new thing, you expand your mind. So it's not fixed. You didn't have the capability before, but now you do. And, and, and of course, you can just see for those that maybe are still learning about this for the first time, how dramatically different that is. If you, if you are threatened that you could be discovered at any moment as not being the genius that people thought you were because you're bad at something right. or, or not gifted at something because you, you suddenly aren't good at that thing, it, it will inherently stop you from the correct behavior, which is to try it, to be game, right. to, to have a, a, well, a shot at it again at any point in your life. Can you talk more about this idea of like, you know, multiple seeds uh, or, or a story from the book about, about somebody that, that, that illustrates this principle? Yeah. And you know what, well, before we leave the growth mindset part here, but you know, I, I recently interviewed another professor from Stanford. Her name is Mary Murphy and she's Carol Dweck's protege. And she I think has even improved the work of the growth mindset because I, and to this day, I believe many people who are aware of the growth mindset think that it's all inside your head, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's your problem. You own it. It's your mindset. Mary has made the observation that it also takes the right environment because if you have a growth mindset, but you're in a, she calls it a culture of genius. And in this sense, genius is a negative because a culture of genius means we hire only the best and brightest. They're all geniuses. They're all A players, A plus players. They don't need any growth. They don't need any training. They don't, they're just all freaking brilliant already. And if you have a growth mindset and you're in a culture of genius and you've been labeled not a genius, there's no opportunity for advancement and growth. So you need to have a growth mindset and be in a growth environment to truly pull this off. And that's an important point. Yeah, Murphy's work on this is, is you know, it. I mean, first of all, it's consistent with work that I collaborated on years ago in, in, in what was first a Harvard Business Review article and then a book, but it was all about being a multiplier and, and this idea of the kinds of people that multiply the intelligence in others. And that I think is consistent with what Mary's work is, is it's, it isn't just you that might, and I love it because that at first level one, that allows you to go, oh, well, the thought came from somewhere. Like I got this from someone. I didn't just 
I wasn't just born with a fixed mindset on intelligence. My family of origin might have been a family that thought about intelligence as a fixed view. And, and, and then you go to a school that might be thinking about intelligence as a fixed view. You know, people are just great gifted or not. And, and in fact, there's been a shift. Even the word genius itself, we're not going to be able to undo this, but the word, the word genius used to mean like, it, it was more like having, you know, I'm trying to remember the, the word we use now. We say, we say somebody, somebody, you know, they're in music, they, they get the, what's the word? It's, you know, you gifted? get the, what's the word? Gifted. No, not gifted. No, no. It was completely different to that. It was like, well, it, it was, you have the genius with you. That, that was the connotation. You know, I was writing this book and, 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 and the genius came into me. And so it's, it was, the idea was that it could come and go with someone. It's like we would say the muse now. You know, you, it comes, it goes, and genius was like that. And so it's like the yeah. ultimate victory for a fixed intelligence mindset to take the word genius and make it a permanent, the characteristic of a person. Right. Because, of course, then it, it, it completely obliterates the idea that it can be available for everybody. And it also, as you already said, it obliterates the humility that, well, I could, you know, I could lose it if I behave incorrectly, you know, and, and this idea of I have to live in a certain way, let's say a state of humility and openness, almost like a childlike attitude in order for that genius to be with us and to, and, to, and to help us along in whatever pursuit we're trying. I interviewed a woman who ran the MacArthur Foundation Fellowships, you know, the so-called Genius Award. Right. And I, had, I was not aware of this kind of definition of genius. And I dare say that when you look at it this way, you would not want your fellowship to be called the Genius Award. Because, because if you look at those people who won those fellowships, they worked, you know, Here 20 me. years being an improv or 20 years on this or 20 years on that. It wasn't like they came out of the womb and they're like all of a sudden they're automatic geniuses. So there was an article years ago that was uh, that someone told me about. I, I've never read it, but it, the title is its own message. It says "No More Child Prodigy, Please." That was the the title of the op. Yeah, and I think it's because of exactly what we're talking about here. When whatever kind of success comes early and defines a person, and then it gets they're just stuck. It arrests their development, like literally arrested development. And so you have to somehow undo that. Otherwise, someone will be frozen in a version of them from before, right? They're frozen as the quarterback from high school. They're frozen as that whatever, the math nerd even, that, that, that was really good at that math or the debate champion or whatever it was when you peak. And I say it to my children all the time. I'm like, just don't. Like, don't peak early. We're, 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 we're like, we're just late bloomers in our family. We're just going to keep on learning, like lifelong learning and lifelong fitness and lifelong, like we, we got a long game to play here. It's not about peaking at these key moments in, in your life. If you think about it, you know, th these kids are brought to light and highlight. And, you know, when, when you read these stories about kids who graduated college at 15, it's only really interesting because they did it so young. You know, what's the follow-up test? What are they at 25? What are they at 50 and 60, right? No, it's and, not a pretty picture. Yeah.
It's not a pretty picture. And it's because it's because of combining a lot of attention on an early achievement that you then freeze people in that version of themselves. And, and it, I think it's, it's a very, it, it's not really a gift we're giving them. It, it's damage that we're giving them, a, da- a damaged paradigm. So I have a curious question about this. So would you say, do you say that Steve had a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? When I interviewed Mary and she was describing this culture of genius, I said to her, you know, as I look back, I don't think the Macintosh division had a culture of growth. I think it had a culture of genius. Mm-hmm. And we labeled people as bozos or not bozos and well, you yeah. were an A player or not and right. you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's how we started our conversation. Go ahead. Yeah. And then I, I can't tell you, if you think that Steve Jobs took you on the side and discussed your life goals and your path for improvement and how you can be better. I hate to disappoint you. Yeah. That conversation never took place. Mm-hmm. So I was all depressed thinking, I work for a culture of genius, not a culture of growth. Or, you know, what, what, how, thank God, guy, you got through that relatively unscathed. Mm. But then as I thought about it some more, maybe the Macintosh division was a culture of growth. It's just that the judgments were very harsh compared to most places of growth. So it's not that Steve believed you were a genius or not permanently forever, but he expected everybody to be genius. And so he had the ultimate environment of growth. He expected you to be a genius, which, you know, sometimes if somebody expects you to be a genius, you become a genius because of that expectation, right? And so maybe he had the ultimate culture of growth and like, Right now he's in heaven and he's like laughing at you. He's like, guy, man, you just like, it took you that long to figure that out. But Greg, by the way, Greg is another word that starts with GR. So I can't have, what's beyond <laughs> a tricolon? Growth, <laughs> grit, grace, and Greg. I like yeah. it. I, 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 li- I like that I'm, 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 I'm adding in a little illegal addition to your, to your alliterated model in this book. Yeah. So. So, so the, 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 the Steve question is like a really interesting one. I mean, my story for this is that, is that, I mean, I love what you just said about it. So that's a really nice way of thinking about it. It also seems to me that he himself, there's, n- there's no question at all in my mind that he had a growth mindset in his own life. Like that, I don't have any question about because you cannot evolve at the speed with which he was willing to whether you even just look at the product journeys, but it's not even that, you know, in that period, those 10 years when he's at Next, right? He's, that's when he gets married, he has children. That's when he's over at Pixar, effectively being taught, even though he's trying to be useful, he's also being taught, hey, there's a different way to make decisions than the way you've been making them. There's a different way to manage than the way you've been managing. And so he comes back to Apple as a, a significantly different leader. And that doesn't mean that he's suddenly perfect and there wasn't anything that he got wrong. Obviously, that's not true. But the media image never seemed to catch up. They missed the story of growth, you know, maybe at a meta level, exactly what we're talking about. Because at some level, this growth mindset for other people, this growth culture is allowing someone to grow. You know, it's it's saying... Yeah, your reputation used to be this, but I see that you've grown right. into well, this. You, you could make this case, uh, although we're one game shy of the fairy tale, right? But 
quarterback of the 49ers was drafted last or, you know, whatever, right? He wasn't first round and he took this team to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's got to be a growth mindset, right? I mean, he wasn't the Heisman Trophy winner. And so how did he do that? And that's a growth mindset. Now, I, I think when you look at Steve, listen, if anybody tells you he wasn't a genius, and I mean that in a positive sense, they're just jealous. So I would say that if you have a growth mindset, you'll do well. If you have a genius, if you are a genius, you might do well. But if you're a genius with a growth mindset, you are unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.